I want to talk about something that just happened to me. What just happened to you? Okay, so I go to the pizza store. All right, where all of the pizzas are born. It's like a Cabbage Patch Kids thing, but just pizzas. You go and pick the one you want up out of the dirt. Well, you call and say which one you want. I guess you could do that in a real Cabbage Patch. But anyway, so I get I get me and my girl some stuffed shells and a Ooh. pizza. All right. So stuffed shells come with the salad. Salad's for me. She doesn't need it. So I want you to understand my frustration here. I open up the salad, and I smell something vinegary. And I was like, okay, maybe they went ahead and put, like, some balsamic on here or something. And then I, like, lift up one leaf. And I want you to take one guess as to what was under that leaf. Uh, a whole olive. No. I would have been fine with that. It was four goddamn pickles on a salad. All right. What that's... <laughs> kind of fucking monster does this? That's aggressive. That yeah. is an aggressive move. Like, I, I see that. pickle in a salad? Who's doing this? Okay, so we are talking about regular hamburger dills. We're not talking about, like, bread and butter pickles. No, we're talking about, like, dills. Like, these are actual pickles. All right, yeah, that's a bit of a stretch. There are very few salads I could see ever putting dill pickles on, and you would have to do it very intentionally. Like, if you were going to have, like, a cheeseburger salad, like, like, you know, have, like, minced meat and, like, cheese and, like, probably, like, I guess lettuce and tomato on there, A, that sounds super bad for you. And, but then also, I guess you could put pickles on there. I guess then that makes sense. I think you're not realizing the full Margaritaville potential of having a cheeseburger salad. A cheeseburger... You know what? You know what, John? You live out your Margaritaville dreams. I'm going to go over here where normal people are, and there aren't pickles on salads. I think that's how parrot heads... You know, like the guys that are really, really into Jimmy Buffett? Yeah, I think that's how the parrot heads just keep themselves from, like degrading into nothingness like that's how they just keep themselves kind of upload medically because cirrhosis comes on fast when you're not eating any vegetables ladies and gentlemen live from coast to coast we proudly present for your information with zach and john What up? This is one doodle that can't be undid, home skillet. This is For Your Inflammation with Zach and John, and I'm Zach. And I'm John, and I know what you just did, but a couple days ago, I wouldn't have known what you just did, because this was my first time ever seeing this movie, and I appreciate what you did, but only because I'm one of the privileged ones now. You and um, just about everybody else from 2007. Um, so, John, you've never seen Juno. Hadn't seen Juno. I remember in the dying days of Blockbuster and Hollywood Video going in there and seeing Juno everywhere. Like, it was all over, like, the rental racks, and they had posters up for it, and they had little standee things in the store for it because it was really easy to, I don't know, market? I, I guess? I, I don't know, man. But, like, it, I remember the movie. I remember that it was out there, and I was always kind of interested to see it, but I always thought it was going to be more of, like, a scary movie thing and less like a what I just saw kind of thing. So you thought it was going to be like a parody kind of movie. Yeah, like it was going to be funny. It wasn't going to be like a drama. Well, I mean, it's. I guess it's kind of funny in parts. I, okay, yeah. Saying that it's a drama and not a comedy, I guess, is not exactly fair. Because 
there are a lot of funny parts. Clearly, that's a piece of it. But at its core, it's got much more serious subject matter. Yeah, it's got you know, it's got it's got some real shit in there. Yeah, it definitely does, and I liked it. I'm gonna come out on right here on the front end and say I liked it. I'm so glad you liked it because honestly, I this this was gonna go either way for me on you. I I didn't know how it was gonna hold up with you. Really. Really, like this, like I wanted to pick a movie that I didn't know was safe, that I didn't know if you would like it or not. Uh, and you this one, yeah. Well, because uh, here's the thing: I didn't know if you would like even care for it. Like I thought you might be like, "Oh, it's good, but who cares?" You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess. I, I think you have, don't have enough faith in me in this type of thing. I know I spent all of my teenage years watching like really shitty horror movies and like <laughs> I, I don't know i haven't even actually seen pacific rim i was gonna say pacific rim but i haven't seen that that's okay you can skip pacific rim um but this movie was a really big part of like my uh eighth and ninth grade like me- like media upbringing i guess as you would say like i really liked this movie and more importantly i really liked the soundtrack yeah we'll get to that because there is a bit to unpack there there is a lot to unpack with the soundtrack. If you had that soundtrack as a kid, we will do right uh, by it, I promise. Let's get right into it. So uh, Juno was released in a limited release uh, September 1st, 2007, with the general release December 5th of the same year. Yeah, which is odd because you think this would be like a summer movie. You, you really would, but I think September was important because that's a going back to school time for most people. And the way that the movie is set up and the way that the movie is written, it makes a lot of sense to do that, I guess. Yeah, I guess it does. It's just, um, I don't know why they would do a wide release in December for this movie. Oh, well, I mean, maybe for Oscar season. Mm-hmm. So, and because you don't want to release a movie in January or February or March. That's like kind of like the dead period. Right, because anything that's already going to get an award has already been made, and anything that is made in that time period will have to contend with the next year or not be included at all. Correct. So if you release something in January, you'll have to wait almost a whole two years before the award season for that season comes out. And that's kind of why you get some shit in that area. Like, um, honestly, you know what I was honestly surprised wasn't a January release? Fucking the new Rambo movie. You know, I haven't seen that. I haven't even seen the trailer for that. I just know it's a thing. Um, let me put it to you this way. It was Rambo killing a bunch of people to an, a version of Old Town Road backed by orchestral music. All right, yeah. Um, <laughs> that's a lot. And I'm having a hard time picturing it. But you know what? I'm sure Stallone has it in him, you know? Oh, he didn't. I didn't see it, but I saw the reviews. Oh, and cool. he didn't. All right. Well, the, this is not that movie. This one was better. This one had some of our favorite returning actors, Michael Sarah. We'll get to the cast here in a little bit. Uh, it's a Fox Searchlight Pictures production. So um, I'm not completely sure where we draw the lines on Fox releases and why Fox Searchlight is the way that it is and other Fox releases. are. I don't know how that works. And now it's all owned by Disney, which makes it even worse. You know, because Fox has like Fox proper and that's what like puts out their big movies and but then they also have this smaller sect, Fox Searchlight, that allows them to put into smaller markets or to bring foreign movies over for smaller markets. That's mainly what they do. Oh, okay, I see. So I know that this was generally considered not a complete indie film, but it was more indie than other films at the time. Um, I would say in 
vibe and in aesthetic it is indie and it kind of created like that uh i'm gonna sound so pretentious here but the faux indie thing that happened in the late 2000s and like early 2010s like this is like your 500 days of summer your scott pilgrims like all of that kind of stuff like kind of has that indie spirit, has that indie feel, but it like has a massive budget. Uh, yeah, okay, I see what you mean. There were definitely a lot of those coming out. Um, right. Director was Jason Reitman. Uh, I didn't know anything about Jason Reitman before researching this movie, and uh, he's got a really interesting career so far. He's still active, as far as I know. Yeah, he's done a couple of movies. Um, I can't think of any off the top of my head other than Thank You for Smoking, and that was before this one. Yes, it was. Uh, this was actually only a second film, as it right. turns out. Uh, and Reitman actually has recently been working on a movie called Tully, which actually dropped in 2018, but, you know, recently, uh, with the same screenwriter, Diablo Cody. Diablo Cody, the uh, the uh, hipster uh, songstress of this whole faux indie movement thing I've been talking about. So is this like the person who does the, um, what is it, Steven Universe thing? Is this no. a similar type of thing going on? No, uh, that's Rebecca Sugar, and she's actually been in animation a really long time. Ah. Uh. Like, all the way back to, like, uh, if you remember, like, the Kids Next Door Camp Laszlo era of Cartoon Network. Yeah. She goes back that far. Oh, okay. So that's, like, honestly around when this dropped. Right. So, like, she she's actually been around a minute, but that was, like, her first show that she created all on her own. Yeah. So this movie had, I want to say, like, four different producers, uh, one of which being John Malkovich, which is a name that I've heard before. Oh, yeah, John Malkovich. He's he's an actor known for um, kind of in the same vein as, like, a Nicolas Cage, where he kind of overacts a little bit, but more in, like, a serious drama. <laughs> so he'll pop up in movies where he shouldn't be. And there's actually a movie called Being John Malkovich. Yeah, I saw that. You've seen that movie? Well, no, I saw that he was in the movie. I haven't seen the movie. I haven't seen any movies. That's what this whole podcast is about. Right. I was going to say, you have seen Juno, but you've seen Being John Malkovich. I don't understand you. Yeah. Um, but, no, yeah, so he's an actor and producer, and I don't know if he's a director. I don't really know that much about John Malkovich, honestly. Recognizable name, though. I guess when you have a name like John Malkovich, uh, that just uh, comes to the part of the territory. Yeah, it's definitely, it sticks out. It's a name that sticks out. So the music for this movie, uh, very, very important to the movie itself. The soundtrack was done by uh, Matteo Messina. Uh, he's not—he's not the sole writer. He's not a composer in the conventional sense, but he compiled the playlist from other songs, which is pretty common for movies like this. Am I right? Yeah, it's um. The movie has some original scoring, but it's also done by people that were already on the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Like, um, Kimya Dawson, who's featured mainly on this soundtrack. Yeah, I listened to some of Kimya Dawson's stuff after watching the movie, and kind of weird, but in a good way. It's like a like an anti-folk, I think, was a label I saw attached to it, and that was a new concept for me. Like, I have been in music for a long, long time, and I have never heard of anti-folk. I, I guess anti-folk is, like, folk without, like, the pretension behind it. Kind of like, um, kind of like post-punk. Huh. It's kind of in that same vein, like, whereas anti-folk is kind of like, it's kind of like a, gra it's one of those grab bag genres. Hmm. So it's like, you know, it's a little bit of punk, it's a little bit of folk, it's a little bit of uh, singer-songwriter, it's a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And it all amounts to, like, a genre to me that is kind of hit or miss. 
I see what you mean. I kind of dig it, though. And especially in the context of this movie, I think that Kimya Dawson's stuff in particular was really, really good. I think Matteo Messina did one, maybe two original pieces for it, and they were pretty good as well. And they were in a similar kind of vein, a similar aesthetic. I don't know that I would call his work anti-folk, but he was clearly going for a vibe there. Right, and um, I think the one, if you had the soundtrack, the one of them is the Up the Spout um, yeah. instrumental. That one. It's the dun, dun, dun. That's one of the first songs I learned how to play on guitar. And like when I had like the I had like the little looper thing on my phone and I would like do the actual chords and then play the thing. That was fun. Anyway. Yeah, you know. <laughs> going down memory lane. It's a, you know what? Let's keep going down memory lane because I have a little bit of a call out here. And I'm going to say that in the brief period of time where we were going to open mics with our friends, I am certain that I heard you play several songs from this soundtrack. Um, I can't remember if I did or not. Um, I, I might have done a Kimya Dawson cover. I can't remember. I but, know um, the first song, and I can't for the life of me remember what it's called, but it's it's clearly oh, oh, um, All I Want Is You by uh, Barry Lewis Pulser. You did that one, and you also did Dearest by Buddy Holly at one point. Yes. Um, those are two great songs. <laughs> no, they um, absolutely are. I see why you did it, but... It's actually, um, if I could go off on a tangent about All I Want Is You, um, the way that they found that song was just by scouring iTunes for hours. Really? Like, they they didn't know the guy, they didn't know anything about it, they were just like, this one. Because he actually writes children's music? I believe it. So, like, this was like one of his non-children's songs, I guess, or at least, it's kid-friendly, I guess. True. Um, But it opens up the movie, and it's... I couldn't imagine another song opening up this movie. I agree. I completely agree. So moving on from the music, which of course we'll revisit because it's a huge part of it. Uh, the budget, uh, relatively low, uh, six and a half, seven and a half million dollars, somewhere in there. Um, actually ended up getting more than $230 million. <laughs> so... This was a total steal. Like this movie just made buckets of money, of money from just... From word of mouth, like people are like, you got to see this movie. They talk fucking weird. Yeah, I, I guess the movie takes place in what Minnesota? Yeah, it takes place in Minnesota, and it's um all of its Minnesota glory. Except there's no Minnesota accents in there. Well, no, but there's a bunch of Canadians acting, and that's basically Minnesota. Correct, and it was actually shot in Vancouver. That's true. It was shot in Canada. Huh. Um, the more you know, small world, right? small fucking world so there was actually a little bit of controversy surrounding the release of this movie uh it came out the same year as knocked up and waitress and this sparked a little bit of pushback from the pro-choice advocates of the time well i wonder why well okay basically it clearly doesn't paint abortion in a bad light like she is very open to the idea of getting abortions it's kind of her knee-jerk reaction when she finds out she's pregnant because i mean i'm sure a lot of 16 year olds have that thought when they're in that situation i don't really know i'm not gonna pretend like i know something about being 16 and pregnant because it's clearly impossible and it definitely didn't happen to me but um (laughs) the fact that she chooses to not do it she opts out of it without being coerced necessarily they even go out of their way to kind of like take a stab at uh yeah pro-life people even take a stab at that in the movie as well but regardless of all that they thought that it paints abortion in kind of like a like a second choice light or like it's not preferred to like adoption or you know having a kid or you know whatever it is but people have gone back later on and said like that's not true that was not intended uh even the star ellen page came out in an interview and said yeah i don't really understand why people do that that was no one's intention in the making of this movie and it was definitely not something that i thought while i was doing it right and i didn't view it as pro-life at all like it's i I really did even when people said that back then i didn't understand what they meant mainly because i was 
14 and a boy, but, you know, it's just kind of... Anyway, you know what? We'll get to that when we get to that part of the movie. Let, let's okay. let's get to that part when we get to the part of the movie. Okay, well, let's move on to the next section. We're going to talk about the cast. So this is an important part of it because a lot of these actors continued to work together, had either, well, already worked together before, continued to work together after, or did a really good job while they were here briefly. And I think that that's true for most of them. So uh, Juno McGuff is played by Ellen Page, uh, famous for Trailer Park Boys, uh, two different X-Men movies, and recently The Umbrella Academy. Yes, and a really cool roller derby movie called uh, Whip It. Oh, I've heard of that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's worth a shot. I think it's on Netflix right now, or it was the last time I checked for it. So um, Ellen Page getting ready to do a roller derby movie, I imagine, is her, like, um, I don't know, taking a bunch of mass gainer and, like, uh, try, <laughs> trying to, like, uh, like get buff so that she can hit women really hard with roller skates on? I, I would imagine she'd have to because she's, she's tiny. She is, and I'm sure that was part of the appeal for her being in this role. I mean... When you're an adult trying to play a 16-year-old, it's one thing. But when you have, like, a diminutive character like that, and then you have her surrounded by other people. Like, there's a contrast with Polly Bleeker, played by Michael Sarah, where he's kind of tall and she's kind of not. And it's kind of funny. There's, like, a, there's like an interaction there, a little dynamic there. Right. And they play off each other really well. Like, I, I believed, like, the, uh, the relationship there. Like, almost 100%. Yeah, I definitely did too. Um, of course, Michael Sarah, known for Nick Nord's Infinite Playlist, a movie we've already covered, uh, Arrested Development, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, and a bunch of other stuff. I mean, he's really kind of been prolific in and around this time and continued to be so afterwards. Right. Uh, so much to the point where I think we're going to run across Michael Sarah probably a couple more times before this whole thing is over. So let's just go go ahead and call him friend of the show, Michael Sarah. Yeah, of course. Uh, Michael Sarah, if you're listening to this, uh, feel free to drop us a line. We'll be more than happy to talk to you or, or something. I, I, I don't know. Or if you just want us to stop talking about you, we get it. Send us 300 signed copies of your headshot and a kiss, and we'll do it. Mm-hmm. The kiss has to be, like, in a sealed bottle, though. Correct. And you know what? Put two in there. One for each of us. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we don't have a producer yet, so you lucked out. You get like a two for three special. I mean, a, th- a three for two. Whatever. You don't have to get the producer or anything. Right, right, right. It's just us. You just have to pay us off. Michael, right. Michael, our sweet boy, our friend uh, of the show, Michael Sarah. Michael Sarah Top. Sarah Top? Yeah, Michael Sarah <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right. So Jennifer Gardner's in this movie. Yeah, she is playing Vanessa Loring, uh, wife to Mark Loring, who, of course, are the couple that's trying to adopt the child. We'll get into that stuff later. Uh, she was in Daredevil and a couple other things, too. Um, she actually should have been the highest paid actress in this movie. However, she wanted to be in it so badly that she took out like what her normal pay would be if she got paid scale for this movie. Huh, really? Yeah. Or was it, it scale? or per- I think it was percentage, actually. She got paid percentage, so what that means is she gets a percentage of the total box office. Okay, well, in this case, that made a lot of sense. Yeah, and I think, well, she did it because she was like, well, I don't really need the money from this, so I just want to be in it, let's do it. Mm-hmm. And then she probably ended up getting a, at least close to $2 million for it. So kind of like Christopher Lee and the Wicker Man. Mm-hmm. Oh, Interesting. I'm, I'm glad that she took the uh, took what she could get from it because she did a pretty good job. Uh, of course, after we just mentioned that, uh, Mark Loring, played by Jason Bateman, another actor that would reappear alongside Michael Sarah and other actors uh, from this movie too, right? Yes, uh, him and Michael Sarah were in Arrested Development together, where Jason Bateman is Michael Sarah's dad. 
Man, isn't that an interesting dynamic to have after this? It's very interesting. They were in another movie together, and I can't remember what it is right now, but it, it is very interesting, Like, um, especially with Arrested Development. They end up casting sometimes two actors from Arrested Development in movies, but then they like never interact ever, and it's really weird. Yeah, I don't know what that's all about. Maybe we should do a little bit more research into that. Uh, Mac McGruff, Juno's dad, uh, played by J.K. Simmons, famous from uh, Spider-Man, La La Land, uh, Whiplash. Spider-Man was a funny one for me. I saw that and I was like, ah, yeah, Jameson, J.J. Jameson. Get me pictures of Spider-Man! Exactly, yeah, that's actually really, really funny. Like, looking back on it, it was like, I I, I get it. That, that's it. That's a good pick. Oh, dude, I was going off on another tangent. I was so excited when he was at the end of uh, Far From Home. Oh, yeah. Dude, oh, have you not seen Far From Home yet? I haven't, no. I, I just didn't know that he was in that. Fuck, I'm sorry. All right, well, he's in it. It doesn't ruin anything, but he's in it. Okay, well, that's good to know. Okay, so this is an important part of this review. So the critical reception, uh, it scores exceptionally high, especially for a movie of this type and in this time period. So it's rocking a 7.4 out of 10 on IMDb. That's pretty high. That's like... Dracula level high. Um, that's like almost Citizen Kane. Yeah, that's really, really high. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, 94%. That is a lot. Right. It, it It's one of the better movies that came out towards the end of the 2000s. Like, there was a lot of shit back then. I mean, like, do you guys remember that we let uh, From Justin to Kelly be a movie? Yeah. It took some time to get over that so that we could get to this. This was also in that weird period of time where, like, parody movies had, like, a like a genre of their own. So, like, Scary Movie was a thing. Scary Movie been around for a little while. And then we had, like, Epic Movie and Disaster Movie and Meet the Spartans and, like, all this other stuff. Which was always weird for me watching movies like that because I hadn't seen most of the movies. Right. And it, it, it does ruin it when you haven't seen any of those movies because they heavily rely on you seeing a bunch of stuff and then also even if you have seen all that stuff they're not all that funny anyway yeah i know i feel like juno was in one of those movies and i can't remember which one it was it's one of the ones I, that i didn't see i think it was epic movie you i'm pretty so? sure it was it was either Ep was it disaster movie i don't i don't know because uh, i don't remember i don't care like you know I, I was thinking about those movies the other day and i'm like wow what would what would they do for these today and you know what it would be it would be like fucking TikTok and Vine stars would have to be in those movies now. Yeah, you're probably right. Um, I'm thinking maybe they could do like a, like a Marvel thing. You do like superhero movie, you know? Yeah, and God, where have we come? I'm glad that we don't have those anymore, or at least I'm not readily aware of them. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure someone out there is doing them. It kind of reminds me of Chronicles of Rickroll again. Ugh. Let's not talk about made. The one they never made for for the good of the universe. Oh, yeah. Uh, so the film actually did way better than they expected it would. Not that they weren't trying to write a good movie, because clearly they were. But um, it was actually Fox Searchlight's first film to gross over $100 million at the box office. Yeah, and that's, for an indie movie, that's insane. Absolutely. I think, it, I think it's still one of the highest grossing indie films of all time. That's crazy to think that a little movie like this would do that. Because, I mean, I very clearly could see an alternate timeline where Juno was like, eh, that's an okay movie. It's like what we think about Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. Like, good movie? Oh, yeah, sure. Great movie? Yeah. Memorable? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, in my heart. And the, the thing that ties that movie together for me is its soundtrack. Because that was another one that had some heavy spins on my uh, Crossley record player as a teenager. Oh, Don't yeah. Don't buy Crossleys. Don't do it. 
I've heard. So, uh, yeah, the reviews on release are pretty positive. Uh, Roger Ebert actually said that this was possibly the best movie of 2007. Yeah, and he's right. Yeah. I can't, I can't remember what else came out in 2007, but um, I know this was at least nominated for Best Picture. Oh, yeah, this got several awards and nominations. Um, more nominations than awards, but I guess that kind of comes with the package when it's like a smaller film like this, so... We'll get there. Trust me. We'll touch on that. Uh, and also the Juno effect. Again, going back to like a like like a controversy type thing. Where this is kind of the other side of the coin. Where some people said, "Hey, this is like a pro-choice movie. Like, if you're really into like women's rights, is that the right vein that I'm striking gold in here?" Um, I plead the fifth because I have a penis and I have no say. Okay. Okay. So basically, people thought that it was promoting or glamorizing teen pregnancy, uh, and this was what they called the Juno effect, where like there were certain places in the U.S. that saw like a dramatic spike in teen pregnancy after this movie was released, and that was a real <laughs> big scare for a couple of years there. Like I think there was like a high school in Massachusetts where there were like seventeen girls pregnant at the same school in one year, which was like unheard of amounts of teen pregnancy. It it is insane, and um. It actually reminds me of a story my uh, my girlfriend was telling me uh, while we were watching this movie that she was friends with a girl in high school that dressed up as Juno for Halloween, and then that night found out she was pregnant. Oof, big and then had to drop out of school. Ooh. God, that sucks. <laughs> it sucks so bad, but it's so fucking funny. Dang, I mean, I get it. Like, uh, that is funny for stuff, but like, the, like popularizing the pregnancy and like making it like seem less serious or less of a big deal, or like people like getting pregnant for social clout. I get why that would be a concern, especially for like parents at the time. But I mean, as time has gone on and we've had time to like process the numbers and statistics from this time period, it turns out that following Juno's release, there was like a slight downturn in teen pregnancy across the board so it didn't end up panning out that way but sarah palin got caught up in this for a little bit where like one of her daughters got pregnant and there was like a teen couple and like that was like a whole part of this too ew i thought sarah palin would have kids that like like those kids that don't kiss until they're married well i think that was the idea but then they realized ah i can see russia from my backyard and there's nothing around here the only thing we can do is maybe try to steal some beer and fuck Fair enough. And also, if you're waiting to kiss until you're married, um, what's wrong with you? I, I want to like I want to know what that mindset is. I know that has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but um, you're fucking weird, and I want to know what's up with that. All right, we don't want to disparage anybody listening to the podcast right now. We want to make sure that you all know that you are loved and that your viewership is contributing to our non-existent ad dollars and that your opinions matter whether you don't kiss until preg- pregnancy? No, marriage. Yeah, you don't kiss until marriage. <laughs> you don't kiss until pregnancy. What the? That, okay. that, that seems backwards. All right, okay. well, I, I, all right, Zach, I... That that that's all I got to say. Uh, for your information, uh, I'm John. I'm out. Oh, no, don't leave me. I can't do this shit on my own. Oh, you, still... you you write the outlines. <laughs> okay, so now that I got John back, and let's go. You know what? Before we go any further, John, I, I'm feeling I'm feeling mighty thirsty. I have a bit of the vapors. Will you oh, no. will you give me will you give me a new cocktail to drink while I'm cooling down actually i will um i (laughs) so for this podcast specifically this episode i thought long and hard about what i could do for a cocktail and i thought well 
I could do like a your Eggo's Prego cocktail and I could do like a maple whiskey cocktail with an Eggo garnish. That was one idea that I had. Um, I could do something like Four Seasons related and that would be really cool. But then I thought to myself, John, there is a drink and a very specific drink mentioned in this movie and it's quite funny when they mention it. Oh, shit. And Lay it on one, me. I know it, where this is going. Yeah, this is when Juno goes to meet the Lorings, and you know, they talk about like the adoption process and all that, how that's going to work. And Vanessa Loring asks Juno, like, oh, would you like anything to drink? I got all the stuff. I got all the stuff. She says, I'll take a Maker's Bark up. Okay, there's a lot to unpack in what she said there. So, as you all probably know, Maker's Mark is a whiskey. You can find it at pretty much any bar, any liquor store. It's pretty common. It's considered like a, like a lower mid-shelf bourbon, and that's all good and fine. But how exactly would you drink something like that, right? Because there's so many different ways to drink just liquor straight that people kind of get lost in the mix sometimes. So I thought that I would go over some of the different ways that people drink straight liquor. Okay. So when she says, I'll take a Maker's Mark up, what she is probably referring to is the process of taking your glass and instead of just pouring the bourbon neat into the glass, you pour it into a shaker with ice you shake it and then you strain it out into the glass so that it gets a little bit of dilution and it gets nice and cold, but you're not drinking it with ice cubes. Okay, so as to not water it down too much? Well, you do want some dilution to it, but it's not going to be the same as if you do it on the rocks. Because if you do it on the rocks, you're just leaving the ice in there. And depending on how fast you drink it, that could mean that it gets substantially diluted. And also, if you're drinking at a bar and you're like, wow, at least 25 cents of the of the $4 that I just spent on this are stuck in between these ice cubes and fuck that. Yeah, exactly. That kind of sucks. So, um, what she means by that, of course, is, you know, shake it up, just strain it out. And just, so she's basically asking for whiskey, just whiskey, but a very specific way. So another way to do that would be neat. Okay. Neat is pretty easy. You pour the whiskey in the glass and serve it. That's it. That's what a lot of people who are like whiskey connoisseurs will say. You got to do. They don't say add water. They don't say add ice. They don't say shake it. They don't say anything. Put it in a glass, Drink it straight. Okay, I like to do that because I just like bourbon, but, like, not everybody can do that. You know what I mean? Right, and <laughs> I actually remember a very specific time that I ordered bourbon neat. Uh, we were hanging out with a couple of girls, and they thought I was a weird alcoholic at, like, what, 21? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> oh, man, that sucked. I, that, I Like, it was going really well. Like, me and you were hanging out with, like, all these girls, and then none of them wanted to talk to me. Yeah, like, like I guess that was too grown ass of a like a drink order, and I, I might have been showboating a little bit, but I was also down for it. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's definitely not a drink for someone who hasn't seen some shit. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's not a like like a Jack and Coke is like a very 21 year old drink. You know, it's not like a like a blue motherfucker like we've also made on this podcast. Pretty much. But, but you know. Straight bourbon is kind of depressing, to be honest. Maybe. Depends on the context. So there are a couple <laughs> other ways to do this, too. And this is where things start to get really confusing. So, like, if you were to ask for, like, a Maker's Mark straight up, that can mean a few different things. So one way of doing that is it's going to be Maker's Mark up, just like she said, where you're going to shake it with the ice and you're going to strain it out into the glass. But you're going to use a stemmed glass, like a martini glass. And that is not as common anymore. What? Why? Uh, just because that's the way people wanted to drink. Uh, I know stem glasses tend to keep your drink from heating up as quickly, or at least that's like the, the going thought on it. That's like the common knowledge. I don't know scientifically how that actually works or if it's actually true or not, but that's what people ask for when they say, 
I want this straight up. It's more like a martini style. That's not even completely accurate because you're just drinking liquor, just a slightly diluted liquor. Um, another way of doing that is specifically with bourbon and tequila as well. If you ask for bourbon straight up, they'll just give you a shot of bourbon. Okay, that that's more my style. Yeah, so in that case, it's ultimately neat, but it's generally presented in a shot glass and it's designed to just be drank. So I, it, it, there's a lot out there and it's very colloquial too. So like people in different parts of the country or the world will have different ways of talking about the way that they drink straight liquor. Right. And um, that's not always something that you're going to be able to just say across the board, give me this. I mean, if you say, give it to me neat, then they're probably going to know what you mean. Yeah, I mean, neat or could you say plain? Uh, yeah, I guess you could. Or you could just say, give me the maker's mark, and they'll just pour some in a glass. And that's pretty much the end of it. Because most people, like, uh, maybe they'll ask me, like, oh, do you want it with ice? Do you want it with ice? Like, oh, no, just, just put it in a glass. Okay, cool. Maker's mark, Nate. There you go. That's how I would do it. I haven't really experimented much with this before. So usually when I drink, like, bourbons in particular, I I, I don't do the whole up thing. I just pour in a glass and drink it. But, you know, everybody's got their thing. Could I, could I ask for a maker's mark up, down, side to side, up, up, down, down, side to side? Um, I think the bartender would probably ask you to leave. Why? That reference is obviously older than 21. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. I, I Yeah, you're right. <laughs> okay, uh, I'll stop being an asshole. Please continue. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much all there is to it. I mean, like, you just gotta know your local bar. You gotta know all that kind of stuff if you're really that worried about getting what you want when you want it. But most people are willing to work with them a little bit, so I mean... Don't be pretentious, but it's good to experiment with drinking liquors neat because you get a little bit more of an experience on the flavor. You can just like all that kind of stuff. So you get to figure out like what whiskeys you like, you know, like Maker's Mark. It's a bourbon. It's mostly corn. I think it's actually like 71% corn. It's only required to be 51% corn to be bourbon. Wow. I didn't realize it was like that. I also didn't realize bourbon was made out of corn. It is mostly corn. It's not all corn. So does that mean bourbon is inconsequential to my health as is corn? Mm, no. God damn it. Yeah, um, definitely not how that works. So perfect's not like some sort of magical diet corn drink. Diet corn drink? Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> like Come on weird... down to KFC and get our <laughs> diet corn drink that oh, you like... could use to wash down our fucking Cheeto-covered chicken. Like... <laughs> I it's didn't like even a, make that last part up. They literally have Cheeto-covered chicken. It's like a Why? diet corn Fanta. Like, <laughs> don't, don't you wanna? Uh-uh. <laughs> oh, it's like all the corn water from the bottom of the can. Um, <laughs> It's like that weird residue that's left at the bottom of, like, a popcorn bag. Ooh. <laughs> <Dicey> to Lahoy. <laughs> they just pour that into some seltzer water. <laughs> it's diet corn drink. It technically has no sugar, but it's really bad for your heart. <laughs> I, I, we cannot. No, 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 no. All right, we're, we're done with this. We're absolutely done with this. All right, do you want to go into the synopsis then? Oh, yeah. Your boy, Frank Synopsis, is here to sing you a song. The lag is killing me, dude. Oh, okay. What's... Okay. <laughs> I can't stay on beat. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, you're gonna stop this. J is for the fact you're just 16. You oh, is oh. for my underpants. You. Oh no, that's um. And this that's... never, never thought that I'd ever be preggers. O is for orgasm, maybe. 
this is um th- that that's some pre-code Sinatra right there. Um, Frank synopsis there for you. Frank synopsis. All right, tell us what the movie's about, John. It all started with a chair. Juna McGuff, age 16, finds out that she's pregnant by a friend, Polly Bleeker. A personal struggle leads her away from an abortion clinic and into the classifieds looking for a family seeking to adopt a child. She finds a married couple, Mark and Vanessa Loring, and agrees to give the child up when the time comes. Things get complicated between Mark and Juno, putting a final strain on Mark and Vanessa's marriage. After all the troubles of teen pregnancy, Juno and Polly patch up their relationship, and the child is given up for adoption when Vanessa is single. Beautiful. And that does not sound like the teen comedy of the year. Absolutely not. That sounds horrifying. That sounds like a... Sounds like an episode of fucking Maury. Yeah, I mean, you could say a lot of the stuff in here is. And honestly, I thought there was going to be more of that going on. And there really wasn't. Like, everyone was pretty relaxed in the movie. Most, mm-hmm. they were not very confrontational. It's pretty chill. The movie's pretty chill. Yeah, absolutely. And that was one thing that I thought that was really different. Like, not something that I thought I would see in a teen pregnancy. Can I Dramedy. A dramedy, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, but like we said, it all started with a chair that she boned michael Sarah's bony ass in is that the same chair that she did that in yeah did you, yeah did you not catch on that okay we'll get there okay um, yeah. well uh, that's oh, that's where we're at that, that's where we're supposed to be oh that's where we're supposed to be for once oh god damn all right yeah those um, are the opening words of the film it all started with a chair yeah uh so she bones michael Sarah's bony ass in there while he's eating tic tacs like a fucking weirdo yeah. I, I i i don't remember uh losing my virginity thinking like huh I need five flavor gum uh, spearmint in my mouth right now. Uh, do you think that this is the way that Michael Sarah most commonly gets approached by women? Do you think they just Donald Duck it across the room toward him? <laughs> she does totally Donald Duck it over to him. Yeah, just a shirt. <laughs> just shirt, no pants, like a Donald Duck. Um, anyway. Yeah, exactly. Except way, way more graphic and underaged. <laughs> Yeah, I always feel weird about movies like like when they have this like teens having sex, especially like uh like have you ever watched Riverdale? Uh, I saw like two episodes of it. Okay, it's bad. I'm I'm not I'm not even trying to like green light that show. I'm just saying like they have underage sex a lot in that show, and it makes me uncomfortable. I mean, I guess technically if they're both 16 in most states, that's not considered underage sex. But for the rest of us watching, it's a little uh, not comfortable. Well, it, only because it's like if that if this was real, this would be illegal to be watching right now. That's true. That's true. That's true. Um, so she's drinking a ton of Sunny D and goes back to the convenience store again for the third time to buy pregnancy tests. Um, in my research in this movie, I actually found out why she's drinking a shit ton of Sunny D. Yeah. Um, apparently, like a vitamin C overdose can actually terminate a pregnancy. Huh. Which I did not know but the more you know you know they make vitamin c supplements that are really easy to find and really easy to take um okay so we go from her drinking her weight in sunny d quote unquote um to uh have enough pee to you know take three pregnancy tests in one day right which which does everyone not pee twice a day regularly um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that most people that are hydrated pee at least four, maybe five times a day. Right. And so I, I was like, if you just drink the right amount of water, you wouldn't have to drink all this sunny D. But then again, I guess you're not getting all that vitamin C. But then again, also, couldn't you just take a bunch of vitamin C pills if that's what you're trying to do? Anyway, not aesthetically pleasing. You know what is aesthetically pleasing? This opening. Yeah. 
it's it's become iconic and like also it, it used a um, technique called rotoscope, which was actually very popular around this time. There were actually a couple TV shows that used this technique, like uh, Tom Goes to the Mayor and uh, some segments of Tim and Eric. Awesome show, great job. Hmm. Um, so rotoscope is just like basically taking still pictures and like using them to tell a story as if they were like puppets. Uh-huh. Almost. So like you know they would take like several shots of you know Ellen Page walking and they would use that to somewhat animate it. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, she's in an animated background, but she's like a black and white still image that's somehow animated walking through the thing. Yeah, I definitely have seen that a few times. Um, there were a few other intros to movies that had a similar type of aesthetic to it. I know, um, I want to say 500 Days of Summer had a similar thing going on. Mm-hmm. Um, there were maybe some cartoons at the time that had a similar thing going on. Correct. And um, I want to say Nick and Nora either had this in it or it reminded me of this. Um that was more animated to me. Like it, it looked like a like a when you used to draw in a notebook, mm-hmm. like your your little sweet nothings to the universe in a notebook. I don't know right. if you did that, but I did that. Well, that's the kind of thing that I reference this to. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's just the whole like young snapshot into the lives of these people, you know, of the of these kiddos. Yeah, all these pregnant kids. Well, this one pregnant kid. This one pregnant kid, and. So it goes from that, and then she goes to the convenience store. Ah, uh, yes. Where uh, another friend of the show, Rain Wilson, pops up. Yeah, Rain Wilson, of course, famous from The Office, and he was in uh, House of a Thousand Corpses as well. Right, and he's uh, d- doing some hipster speak. Yes, I-, I feel like he's just being himself. Like, I'm beginning to think that he is truly a character actor, and that he does kind of the similar gimmick in every movie. Right, it's actually funny, um... Uh, if you had the DVD or a Blu-ray release of this movie, there's actually a deleted scene where he breaks character and it's just like, what the fuck am I saying? <laughs> it's What kind of Disney movie is this? What have you signed me up for? Uh, yeah. It's good to know that he is a normal person on the outside as well. <laughs> right. Just, uh, you know, like, this is one doodle that can't be undid, home skillet. Your ego is prego, no doubt about it. Oh like, what kind of, like, jive, like... Um, uh, what are that beatnik, like, mm. bullshit is he saying? You know, it's Minnesota, he works in a convenience store. I think it's funny, actually, in this scene, where that you can see everything behind the counter. All the condoms are behind the counter. Mm-hmm. The pregnancy tests are not. Is, is this a statement? Is this an artistic choice on their part? Where it's easier to get a pregnancy test than condoms? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, I, I actually don't know if that's true or not. Oh, right, or at least that's, like, the implication there, I guess, is that... Or maybe that's how it seems to younger people, because, I mean, if I'm 15, 16 years old, and I'm looking at trying to get some condoms, I definitely don't want to go up to the guy at the register and ask for them. I want to either go up there with them and pretend like I'm not buying anything, or, I guess, shoplift them? I've never shoplifted anything before. I have never shoplifted anything either, on the record. Um, but, yeah, it's it's kind of awkward. Like, even now, it's kind of like, Meh buying condoms like you got you got to put stuff with it if you're gonna buy condoms like yeah it's, it's awkward for everybody because like especially like if it's like a 50 year old lady at the checkout i'm like all right cool i don't gotta worry about anything but if it's like a teenager like i'm it's weird like interesting it, it like yeah like if it's like a younger person like someone who's obviously younger than me like I will go to self-checkout and deal with the self-checkout clerk. So what are some of your top items to pad condom purchases with? Um, bananas. Mm-hmm. 
SpaghettiOs, Reese's okay. Cups, and a drill. Yeah, all right, I got. I guess I got what I was asking for. <laughs> you got exactly what you were asking for. No one's going to question you if you're buying anything with a drill. Obviously, you're buying the drill for something you need, and the other stuff was just because you're there. I, Reese's it, Cups and condoms, you're having a good time. Bananas and condoms, you're a teacher. Uh, or you're not. <laughs> if you're sticking them up your butt, your own butt, why would you put a condom on them? Just wash them. <laughs> I, I don't think it works that way. <laughs> I, I think it does. But can you clamp down hard enough on the banana to bust the inside of the fruit out inside your body? I mean, what... If if that's truly what you're going for and what you're doing, wouldn't it busting, like, be what you want it to do? I don't want to think about this anymore. <laughs> but you get a sugar high from all the fructose going directly into your ass. You're basically butt-chugging a banana. Yeah, yes, that's why you use the condom. Oh, okay, I understand now. None of those weird flavored condoms that we'll be talking about here in a minute. Yeah, none um, of that weird shoving a banana in your ass stuff. <laughs> this is a family podcast. How dare you? <laughs> that um, it won't be a family podcast if you keep putting condoms on the banana. Hey, it's supposed to teach safe sex. Um. Anyway, which I guess they didn't do. I don't know. They don't really go too much into that part of it. And I actually kind of like that. Like, yeah, it's because the, the sex part is like, yeah, it's why this movie's happening, but it's not the point. You know what I mean? Exactly. Which is really nice. Like that that was a welcome change from like an American pie or like something like that, where it's all about teen sex. Like this is about teen sex, but like the the I guess consequences. Yeah, I mean ultimately that's exactly what it's about. Um anyway, so after this, Juno is reflecting on what's going on. She calls her friend, um, Leah, yeah. on her burger phone. Ah, uh, the burger phone. Uh, is that another symbol? Uh, for what? <laughs> um, burgers. Yeah. Um, I don't fuck, like, I, I just, I just came up with something really dirty on the spot, and I still, I'm, I'm having trouble understanding what your burger euphemism is. If you would have said taco, I would have been like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Strike but, like, burger? Strike it from the record, we're going on. Okay. And so she takes the chair in which she got pregnant on and brings it to Polly's house. Yeah, it's Yeah, a little living room set up in the front lawn there. Right. And, I mean, this is a truly special way to tell someone that uh, they knocked you up. That's true, if you happen to have access to that chair at that time on the front lawn. Right, and... You know, her and Leah are setting this whole thing up, so, like, I, I actually don't know how long she was sitting there. Well, she probably had a rough idea of when Polly was going to go to school. Right, because he has to go run for track or whatever. Yeah. And so she tells him that she's pregnant, and he's like, oh, that's not what I expected you to say. Yeah, I and think then... it's a pretty honest response. I, I feel like this is more realistic than what we get from that in movies a lot of times. Like, sometimes it's like super romantic and like it's all gonna be great and other times it's like anger or something but i mean it's truly just kind of like oh wow right. that's not what i thought was gonna happen today <laughs> i did not wake up thinking i was gonna be a dad today yeah classic I, I, Michael I, li Sarah. I literally just made a hot pocket and put deodorant on my thighs ah uh, yes i clearly was not thinking about being responsible for another human life at all 
Right, and uh, that's where we kind of get into the next step, where Juno goes to the clinic, there's that weird kid protesting outside, and it's from her school, is the only one protesting the abortion clinic, she goes inside, there's another weird kid, that's the receptionist, which kind of reminds me of how, like, in that period of time in my life, I would have looked at someone like that and be like, oh, that person, like, has a weird thing they do, they seem kind of cool, I, I don't think I'm that cool, but, like, now I just look back on it and I'm like, yeah, they're a piece of shit kid, just like I was a piece of shit kid. Right, they just had a different aesthetic than you did. Exactly, that is all it was. And I always just, I, I don't know why it makes me giggle when she's talking about her boyfriend's pie balls, but it, it always gives me a good giggle. Yeah, yeah, boys like, and berry. Like, flavored condoms, like, I, I I don't see those as often anymore. Maybe I'm just not at the right places for those kind of things, but... Yeah, you're, you're probably not. I mean, there's whole websites on the internet dedicated to just getting, like, weird and interesting condoms. Can I get, like, a lemon custard flavored condom like I, i'm never gonna taste the condom so i don't know bro just put a lemon flavored custard condom on your banana and eat the whole thing but uh, well i guess they are food grade because uh, i guess they are going in body parts all right or another so we can't I, do I, this I guess, ass guess, banana thing again i guess you can't eat it however if you put a banana in your ass don't eat the banana after that I, that's that's the caveat i forgot to put in there For only if you put the condom on you can still eat the banana i don't think so i don't think it's that food great let's see the thing is the condom one condom costs more than the banana does so like you would be better off just getting rid of the banana and be more economical so are you saying are you saying to reuse the condom I'm saying that would be more economical, hypothetically speaking. Well, why don't you just put a trash bag on and get people pregnant, John? All right. <laughs> Always use a fresh condom. Be a gentleman. Anyway. So, yes, Juno... Go ahead, sorry. So, Juno decides against abortion. Something about the clinic and the way weird things are happening there. She just can't get on with it. She goes home, tells her dad, tells her stepmom, and their reaction seems pretty tame. Right. They, they were expecting... Something along this line, but maybe more drug or, like, arrest-related. Yeah. Because, like, she just doesn't come off as the kind of kid that would get pregnant to them. Like, like her friend Leah, who uh, apparently sleeps with teachers. Oh, I don't know yeah. if she actually sleeps with teachers, or if she just, like, flirts with them. Like, I don't get it. I, I don't get what's going on there. They don't explain enough, and I don't want to know. I think it was really funny how the one bit of the conversation between her and that teacher that we heard was, oh my god, I love Woody Allen, and yeah, yep. yeah, I bet you freaking do. Yeah, I bet you do, you fucking weirdo. So, after telling her parents about it, um, she finds the ad with her friend for the Loring family. Uh, she goes looking through a couple of them, but thinks this one's gonna be the one that sticks. And then they go to meet him. So she packs up the van with the dad, goes out there, and they start talking. Now, this is where that interesting scene with the whole Maker's Mark up thing happens and their lawyer's there. It's kind of, it's an interesting scene, but the dialogue's really good. Right, and it's it's definitely like a contrast between the adult and Juno. Mm. Because Juno is almost speaking a completely different language than they are. Yeah. It's almost like the adults don't understand what she's going through here, I guess, maybe, is what the, the artistic statement is there. Right, like, they all have things to get out of it, except for maybe Juno's dad, I guess, and that's kind of beginning to show how Mark is like, yeah, he's interested in being a parent for some reason, and then Vanessa's really interested in being a parent for a lot of other reasons, and the lawyer clearly has a vested interest in representing them, and, like, it's, it's a whole weird thing. Anytime you have a lawyer there to discuss them like that, it, it kind of puts a little dog ear on this little chapter of your day. Right, and 
anytime a lawyer is present in your life, it's probably not always for a great reason. True. Actually, more often True. than not, it's probably not a great reason. Yeah, so she tells him she got a pee like sea biscuit, so she goes upstairs, and that's where she discovers that Mark is really into music, that he's kind of like a producer-composer type, and that she has now something to relate to, and she opens up a bit after that. Right, it, because before this, she was just like, yup, you can have the baby, I don't care, can I go, can I go, can I go? And it's like, well, fuck it, I'm gonna go look in your house now if you're gonna keep me here. And, exactly. You know, so her and Mark sing a song, What what is that? It's a whole song, isn't it? Uh, it's a whole song or a lot of a song. I don't remember which song it is. Right, and it's, um, so I guess Mark is really into, uh, grunge. Like, they don't really come out and say that, but he wears, like, a Soundgarden shirt at some point. Um, Vanessa, her name's Vanessa, right? The, the yeah. lady? Okay, Vanessa's wearing an Alice in Chains shirt at some point. Yeah, I which I'm assu- Which I'm assuming was his. Probably. Because it looks a little big on her. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so I guess he was a grunge kid. Uh, yeah, absolutely. he said that he like toured with a band, and it was like 1993. It was like a big uh, year, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Melvins. He was touring with the Melvins with his band. Right, and so that's pretty cool. Okay, yeah. Act two, winter. So this is where things get a little further on in the pregnancy. Like she has to go do an ultrasound, tells Polly about it. This is the first time that Polly kind of gives an interest in what's going on. Um, and then there's the ultrasound scene, of course, where her stepmom and her friend like kind of get in a fight with the ultrasound technician. And that's really maybe the most tense moment between characters in the movie, I think. Right. Because it's kind of like a statement on like how people view teenage pregnancies. Yeah, definitely. And how it's like, you know, well, this kid's going to grow up to be a fucking menace to society. Right, or at least it's a possibility. And you know what? They give her what's coming to her, and they all seem to have a good time doing it. And, you know, good vibes only. Good vibes only, except for that technician. Yeah, exactly. Uh, After the ultrasound, she takes the photos from the ultrasound with her uh, to the Loring's house. Mark is there, and they bond over punk rock shows her, like, The Wizard of Gore, which is one of his favorite horror movies, and they kind of have a little time there, and, you know... uh, Vanessa comes home, and it's not a weird thing. It doesn't seem like anything weird's going on, or at least Vanessa doesn't seem to pick up on that. Um, I don't think Juno picked up on that something was weird was going on. Right. Either that, or she was, uh, like, happy about what was happening enough to be willing to accept that possibility. I'm still kind of on the fence about where all this is going, but there's a scene further on where it'll be even better to talk about. Right. Of course. Um, They continue to bond over that. She goes home. Uh... Brenda notices that Juno is doing this weird thing with them, specifically with Mark. I don't think she knows when she starts, but Juno tells her. She also tells Polly about it. This is like a typical teenage thing to do. This is where the character really gains depth, I think, because this is a vulnerability that most anybody who's been a teenager can highly relate with, I think. Right, and she's, you know, everybody's telling her she's doing the wrong thing here, and she's like, no, I'm not. Nothing's going on. And then her mom tells her to go fly a kite. Yeah. Which I say a lot Do you when, really? when, I'm, when I'm not allowed to swear. It's like, ah, oh, go fly a kite. Mm. All it's right. one of my favorite things to say. Also, uh, just, uh, just a random fun fact in here. Um, her, Brenda also asked Juno, like, uh, why were you going out? Why did you drive an hour out to go to East Jesus Nowhere? Uh-huh. And uh, that actually inspired Billy Joe Armstrong to write the song East Jesus Nowhere for a Green Day's album 21st Century Breakdown. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, uh, <sighs> <laughs> Ugh, I, there's so much wrong with this. <laughs> Billy Joe Armstrong, just stay out of it. Stay out of Juno. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is funny because this situation is probably what half of the songs are kind of about in one way or another. Probably. I uh, don't doubt it. I, anyway. 
All right, we'll, we'll cover this later. We'll cover this later. Uh, the last part of this is the mall scene. Now, the mall scene is kind of unique from the other ones, I guess. It's in, like, a location that doesn't make an appearance again. And, like, it's got characters that don't really interact as a group again. Uh, so she's there. Juno's there with a friend. And Vanessa's there at the mall, too. And she's watching Vanessa play with her friend's kid and the little, you know, jungle gym playground thing. It's like, it almost seems sentimental. Almost like it suggests that she may be interested in keeping her child after all. But then she actually runs into Vanessa. And that kind of gets erased really fast because Vanessa's way too focused on what's going on and she's really into hearing the baby like or feeling the baby kick and all that stuff and Gina's like oh yeah yeah of course yeah I had a crazy thing right right and like I don't know I didn't take that scene as Juno like thinking about keeping the kid I took it as her like seeing Vanessa play with the kid like okay I guess I'm making the right choice here I think that that's probably a better interpretation of that right because it seemed like she was like oh man like you know, I knew this lady was cool, but, like, look how she's playing with that kid. Like, she's she deserves this kid. Because exactly. that, that serves the purpose of her letting her feel the baby kick and everything. Exactly. Exactly. Which, I don't know how adoptions go, but I don't, like, do, do they really, are they really not, like, supposed to interact at all? I, it depends on the type of adoption. That is absolutely a part of it. Uh, you, as the adopted child, are not allowed to reach out to your parent, your biological parent, um, until you're 18. And that's a part of the agreement. And if they want to have that relationship after that, then you can make that choice as an adult. But if you have an open adoption, that is a different story. And as far as I know, that's still a real thing people do. Yeah, that I think that more has to do with, like, a grandparent, like, the parents of the kid that's having the kid adopting the grandchild. Yeah. I, th- I think, I think that, I think that's more purpose built for situations like that. I could see that. I could see that. You get yourself like a little bit of a Ted Bundy situation going on there. Yikes. Okay. Um, Yikes. <laughs> so uh, we move on, we move on into to spring. Ah, uh, yes. Spring, the season of life, the season of life, which or is something. Uh, or something. <laughs> the season of life or something. Yeah, the right. season of Mardi Gras and throwing up in trash cans. Oh, don't you go on with your Mardi Gras-ville bullshit. Anyway. <laughs> Mardi Gras-ville? It's, it's my um, Jimmy Buffett cover album. Oh, my God. So what is it, like a, like a Cajun Creole band thing? Like where they got like a banjo and an accordion and like a washboard? It was just the closest thing to Margaritaville without getting sued. Ah, uh, okay. I, we're far past that point. <laughs> we, we we talk about it all the time. Good God. So uh, Juno calls Mark from school, like a super casual, like friendly conversation. And then immediately afterward finds out that Polly is going to prom with soup girl, uh, Katrina, I think her name was. Yeah, I think her name is Katrina. Yeah, bitch smells like soup. Bitch smells like soup. <laughs> I mean, I have met someone who smells like Lipton soup mix, and it's not, it's definitely off-putting. How does one get to smell like Lipton soup mix? Like, do they use it instead of laundry detergent? You know what? Someone who smells like Lipton soup mix, let us know. Why do you smell like that? <laughs> I don't think they know that they smell like Lipton soup mix. Like, it's, like, because I feel like it's not necessarily an insult, it's just like a, did you have Lipton soup for lunch? Oh, uh, how no? did you know? Why was it that voice? For all fat people, I'm offended. That's not what I... No, you did, you did like the... Oh, how'd you know? Like, Look, like, if... I, like I'm gagging on a bag of fucking Donatties or something while I'm saying that. Fuck you, John. <laughs> if you're covered in soup, it doesn't matter how big you are. You just sound like that. 
I ate this soup because I thought it would be better for me, but now you're making fun of me. Anyway, um... So, yeah, um... Juno goes... Yeah, it's going to problem with Soup Girl. And then she, like, kind of, like, unloads on Polly, and then Polly fires back a little bit, and you see the relationship come out into the open. Like, yes, they have had feelings for each other. Yes, things are weird now, and we're not really sure if it's going to go back. Right, because there's kind of a uh, a kid in the way. Yeah. And, like, you know, he he kind of has a point almost where it's like she hasn't really made that much of an effort to include him on this. Yes. And that is a very controversial stance to take, I think, by a lot of people. But it's a very important stance to take, I think, for a lot of other people. Like, I mean, if you're in his situation, and I mean, no, there's not a lot you can do to make the situation better necessarily other than just provide feedback when asked. But I mean, you're just half your kid too, I guess. It's not clearly the same for him that it is for her. Right, because he doesn't have to be pregnant. He doesn't, like, this is the whole argument where, like, men don't get a say in this because it's like, she's, like, he's not the one pregnant. He's not the one that has to, like, deal with the blowback of this. Like, he can pretend like it's not happening. She can't. Right, and then it comes to the point where it's like, well, he clearly isn't ignoring that it's happening he does want a relationship with her kid or no kid i guess and even though at the end of the movie he elects to not interact with the child at all he kind of has the same thing with her where it's like we're gonna let this go we're gonna let vanessa have this because this is what she was made for and not what we were made for right and I think that that was a really mature way to end the movie. We're actually right on the corner here. Not to spoil it for you. Again, if you're listening to this podcast, we don't care about your spoiler sensitivity. Correct. And th- this movie came out in 2007. Um, I would say after a year, spoilers don't count. Like, if you didn't watch it, you didn't watch it. Yeah, exactly. So after this happens, uh, Juno goes back to the car and puts on some angry lipstick, which is mm, maybe a good sign. I wanted to say never a good sign, but... Mm, angry well first of all if you have an angry lipstick it means you're probably going out to do business yes exactly yeah and especially because she goes to see mark so obviously she must realize on some level that her feelings towards mark are romantic but maybe like leah she's not like thinking that it has any consequences right exactly or that it's Maybe that other people don't have expectations the same way that she has expectations. Because I feel like as a younger person, especially in this time of your life, like it's really easy to just see your own side. And you just kind of assume that everybody else has a similar experience. Right. And she's obviously having a uh, extra normal experience. Yeah. Like where it's in the realm of normality, but it's not like 95% normal. Exactly. Like 95% of people have gone through this. Like, no, it's not the case. Right. Right. Now, she shows up at the house, and this is where things pick up motion a little bit, honestly. Uh, Mark shows her a comic collection, and then they start talking about music. She gives him some, like, you know, CDs and stuff, like, oh, this is stuff that I listen to. Like, they're palling around and stuff. And she seems really into it up until he says that he's leaving Vanessa. Right. And it's like, they're dancing to uh, all the young dudes by Mop the Hoople. He's saying, like, this is what I dance to at my prom or whatever. And, like, obviously kind of laying it on a little bit. Oh, absolutely. And she seems into it. And that's where you really kind of have to take a step back and think like, all right, so he went to prom in like 1988. So like, this is like 2007. This is almost 20 years after the fact. This is weird. This, yeah, he, Especially because weird. she's a 16-year-old. 
Yes, and it's almost easy to forget how weird it is because she is carrying a child that will become his, but it is not his child, and they do not have that kind of relationship, or at least they're not supposed to. But it's like it's like a no because it's icky. Right, it's easy to forget that though, and that is a I think maybe a writing brilliance that comes through here, where it's like all of this should be really fucked up, but it doesn't seem like it. Right, and it's sorry, especially. Especially because of, like, the age difference. And not to mention, it's illegal. Oh, absolutely. Uh, like, it, it would never happen in real life, or it should never happen in real life. <laughs> That's, yeah. But it gets worse once he breaks that, because then he talks about how, oh, I'm going to go move into this place by myself. And, like, he's implying, like, we can keep doing this later. And that it's was... It's grooming is what it, it is. Yes. And that's where it kind of comes out that, like, well, this... I don't want to call it predatory because I don't think that Mark is that type of character. I just think that he doesn't realize the full implications of what he's doing because he's desperate to get back to a time in his life where this would not be a bad thing. Right, which would be when he was 16. Yeah, exactly. And he it's... didn't have any consequences and he could be in a band that opens for the Melvins and, you know, like make $10,000 a year. Like he wants to go back to that time. Right, despite having all the success and being in all these situations. I mean, that's where it comes to the fore that this whole situation was a last-ditch effort for Mark and Vanessa to fix a failing marriage, and Juno got caught in the middle. Right, and so he, uh, you can kind of tell that throughout the movie. Like, he's not very interested in the baby at all. No, he's not. At first, it's like, okay, well, he's dead. Maybe he's got a copy. Maybe he's just, like, that type of person. And they talk about that in the movie, too, where it's like uh, a mother is a mother when she finds out she's pregnant, but a dad's not really a dad until he holds the child. Right. And when you take all that kind of stuff into account, it's like, okay, I see how this could happen, but that's not what's happening. And you realize that in this scene. It all comes together really fast. Yeah, and I think it. I think Juno realizes what's going on. She absolutely does. She leaves. Vanessa's there. This is where it... It doesn't get very messy. Again, it's not a very messy movie. It's not a super dramatic thing that happens here. But you can clearly tell that things are not going to be the same afterwards. And it's mostly implied. It is. It absolutely is. So Juno drives away. She pulls over alone. There's no music. And that's... Just cry. Very powerful scene. Not going to lie. That ending to that scene is very, very touching. Right, because it's just she's realizing... It almost seems like, you know, the gravity hits her right there. Yes. Gravity. Anyway, um, but like it, it is a very powerful scene. I, I, what's the song that's in there? Isn't it Sea of Love? Honestly, I couldn't remember. All I remember is the part where she's crying, and it is dead quiet. It is dead quiet, and it's it is a very powerful moment in the movie. And actually, uh, just another, just to pull us out of it a little bit, um, that was actually shot like months after the rest of the movie, oh, and Ellen really? Page had gotten a haircut, and that's why she's wearing like all the layers in that scene. Interesting. Yeah, because they had to hide the fact that she got a haircut. Oh, mm. I could have put a wig on her. Well, she did have a fake ponytail on, but like the rest of it was to cover the the bob, I think. Oh, I see, I see. So this is the part where things kind of move in another direction. I mean, Juno writes a note. We later figure out that the note was to Vanessa saying that, you know, you can still have this child if you want it, even if you're not going to be together. And that was really nice of her. We also see clips of Polly writing a song. And this song actually comes in later on in the film, because after this, Juno goes back to Polly and says, hey, I'm sorry, things has been really weird, but I really do like you. You know, you do that whole thing. She puts like a million ticks tacks in his fucking mailbox. Which is just very sweet. I like that. Yes, yeah, so much sugar. Oh, so Is there really that much sugar in Tic Tacs? I don't remember. I haven't had Tic Tacs in so long. Do they still sell them? 
They do. I mean, it's not a really sugary snack if you just put it in a condom and put it in your butt. Putting a Tic Tac in your butt probably wouldn't be that hard. I, I think it would hurt more than anything else would, actually, because it might actually get stuck in there. And every time you, like, fart or, like, have to take a shit, like, it, if it's embedded in your asshole, it's probably going to hurt a little bit. Yeah, you're probably right. Let's not talk about this anymore. But then again, it would probably dissolve before any of that Okay, happens. okay, okay. This is all that we needed to know about the Tic Tac ass. <laughs> get out of here with your Tic Tac ass, Zach. So, yeah. They confess feelings for each other. They're, you know, they're back to where they used to be. And it's really kind of adorable. This is where this, the baby happens. This is where Juno, water breaks at home. The family goes. They're really supportive. It's all working out really well. It's kind of a beautiful thing that happens here. And I guess that's not something that we always see in pregnancy portrayals in movies. Is that this is a family thing as much as it is a personal thing. Right. Because it, it involves everybody. It does. It absolutely does. Especially when you're this young and you got all this stuff going on. So, I mean... Like they said, oh, Polly, he wasn't really into it, but somehow he knew and he showed up. And that was after the fact. He doesn't actually see the child. And they say that that was for the best. And I kind of agree. I think that this really sets them up for having as good of an outcome as they possibly can in the situation. And that's where they go to summertime. And the way that well, they did this was kind of interesting to me, where they like didn't have all the time in the world to film, but they had to do all the seasons. And they really didn't have all the money to go all the places they needed to. So they adjusted some of the spring scenes after the fact and post-production to look more like summer. Right. And um, it actually saved them a lot of money by, uh, there was a freak snowstorm in March when they were filming this Mm -hmm. or or a fluke snowstorm. And that actually saved them some money on fake snow, Mm. which was interesting. Um, I want to roll back to the Polly not seeing the kid. Um, I think that's actually really nice. Like um, as far as storytelling goes, because he's then allowed to still be a kid. Like, he's allowed to pretend like this never happened now. He is. But Juno is always going to remember that that happened. Of course. And I think that because the person that she is, is that it's not maybe going to affect her as much later on. I don't know. That's like, that's all personal stuff. I I don't mean to impose my own way on this film. Right. And it's, but it it is definitely like a, I, I, I almost feel like it's a statement, like, men don't have to worry about it as much because at the end of the day, it's almost inconsequential. Yeah, at least the pregnancy is. Yeah, the pregnancy part is completely inconsequential. Right. So that's the end of the movie and they play the song. Uh, the song. Yep. Uh, Anyone Else But You by The Moldy Peaches, which is a moniker that um, Matt Green and Kimya Dawson used to make music under. All right. Well, that wraps up the film, Zach. I mean... I thought that this was a really powerful film. I thought it was really good. I thought that it was well-deserving of all the stuff that happened, like all the money that it made and all the awards that it was nominated for, of which there were many. There were, yeah. Um, Diablo Cody won Best uh, Original Screenplay. Ellen Page was nominated for Best Actress. Um, it was nominated for Best Film. And Jason Reitman was nominated for Best Director. Uh, the only one winning was a Diablo Cody. And I think it was, I think it was deserved. Oh, I absolutely think so. I think the writing was really, really strong. It's, I mean, the acting, of course, too. I mean, it went on to get some stuff from the Golden Globes, some nominations. I mean, BAFTA Awards, all this other stuff that I didn't know. Does AARP do movies for grownups? Uh, I'm reading that now. I, 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 AARP needs to stick to uh, Denny's discounts. <laughs> AARP, because you can't pay for shit anymore. Um, yeah, yeah, so this movie was very influential on this time period specifically like it like i said it it birthed that like indie revival or indie like fascination 
Mm -hmm. and birth like that faux indie thing where it's not really an indie film but it has that feeling and that spirit Mm -hmm. and uh, that has a lot to do with Diablo Cody's script like the script is just full of either a nonsense that's spilling out of these teenagers mouths or you know just like how the movie feels and how it moves along like almost abstractly but like very linear it is it's super linear Mm -hmm. but it's almost in vignettes so like it's in um you know fall winter spring yeah and as far as i understand it that's also supposed to be kind of a metaphor for the trimesters of pregnancy and the way that it all goes and like it is segmented off that way for a reason yes and that's why that's why they did it that way uh diablo cody actually got her start this was her first screenplay Hmm. Uh, she was famous before this for writing um her memoir and then later a blog that goes along with it called candy girl in the year in the life of an unlikely stripper Hmm. um obviously about her time as a stripper she was i think she got like some sort of writing degree and then ended up becoming a stripper for a while and then after that memoir came out and it was like a bestseller or whatever someone was like hey you should try writing a screenplay and so she did that and then she also went on to write uh Tully, like we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, she wrote the TV show The United States of Terra, and also um, the, uh, now I guess cult film Jennifer's Body. Yeah, that's a film I've been meaning to see for a little while now. Um, I remember everyone not digging this movie when it came out, but now apparently it has some sort of cult following where people really enjoy it. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, I, I might have to check it out. I've also never seen it. Right. Like you said a while back, like instant classic isn't a thing. So, I mean, instant cult classic can't be a thing either. It seemed weird back then, but now maybe things are a little different. Maybe. And like, it just, it seemed like very sexually weird. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, uh, let's talk uh, before we go. Let's talk about the music in this movie. So we talked uh, about this here a little bit. Uh, we've got Matteo Messina doing the... That's... <sighs> Doing like he's doing like some incidental score stuff, and then most of it is comprised of like a copyrighted or previously made music, mm-hmm. and most of it was done by Kimya Dawson. Um, and she does a really good job with like, or at least they picked really good songs of hers to put in this movie because some of them are now iconic. Yeah, like with this movie, especially anyone but you. Like right. that's like that's like a song that people walk down the aisle to now. God, isn't that crazy that a movie like this could popularize something to become that, like, socially recognized? Right, and it's like, you know, if you were anywhere near this kind of scene, or you were anywhere near, like, like th- this is the kind of movie you wanted to watch in that time period, like, it, it, that song would stick with you. Absolutely. Like, it's, it's very lo-fi, it's very, you know, but it's sweet, in a way. Yeah, and to um, reference another Michael Sarah movie, again, like Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, I feel like it had, like, a similar kind of role. I know in Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, like, it's very explicit with the way that the music influences the story or the way that it goes along with the story. This one, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit less explicit with that. Maybe they don't come forward and talk about how the music is right there with it. But, I mean, the characters are musical. They don't sing. It's not like a, a musical musical, you know what I'm saying? Like, they, they don't right. sing and dance, but they are involved, and it's clear that music has a lot to do with these people's lives. I mean, uh, Juno and Mark and the stuff that they all talk about. And Polly also, they play guitar. They have a band thing. You look on the wall in Juno's room and there's like pictures of them in a band. So like having the music be as important to the characters as it is, I feel like builds the world a little bit more. It builds the world a little more and it, it fleshes it out. Like I think like the aesthetic they were going for is fleshed out by the music or maybe the aesthetic was inspired by the music. I don't know. Who knows? I mean, either way, 
it works. It definitely gets the point across. Right. And, you know, like, it's not just, you know, like these people you've never heard of before. There's also a song by the Kinks in here, which uh, introduces Polly. Uh, there's a Velvet Underground song, um, a Sonic Youth covering the Carpenters of all things. Right. That was, of course, a part of the plot as well as a part of the music. Right. And it's the... And the other thing I wanted to talk about that's interesting about this soundtrack is that it was actually so successful that it had, like, three different volumes. Really? Yeah, so, like, or volumes, quote-unquote. Like, they kept, like, putting extensions onto the soundtrack. Like, I think the soundtrack hit number one back in 2008, and that's, like, unheard of for soundtracks now. Like, soundtracks don't do that. And I don't think they'd ever do it again because, like, they don't really put out like, soundtracks with, like, just, like, licensed songs from the movie anymore. Yeah, like, that's kind they, of they might make like a They might, like, put a playlist on Spotify, which also, how, like, that makes me wonder, like, how, like, those, uh, no, that's what I call music, volume, like, nine billion, like, how, how does that still a thing? Like, who's buying these things? I don't know that it is. I don't care that it is. I don't understand how it was the thing in the first place. I really don't understand Kids Bop. <laughs> Kids Bop. Oh, oh. Although I do like going every once in a while and finding out like how they change certain lyrics, like, oh yeah, uh, that, or that. um the the uh, truth hurts by Lizzo instead of you could have had a bad bitch, it's like you could have had a good friend, and I just fucking died. I died <laughs> forever. They just, put Lizzo on Kids Pop, right? Like something I would. I'm not sure how they could do. Like the other day, I saw that Jay and Silent Bob Strikes Back was on TV, and I was like, how? How do you edit something like that? And from what I understand, poorly. Yeah. Uh, it's just like uh, like uh, Back to the Future when it's on TV instead of a when this thing hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious shit. It goes, when this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious stuff. Mm. It's, it, it's censorship and it's very interesting. Just, just say the words on TV. We all know they're in there. Anyway. Yeah. Um, this soundtrack actually did hit number one on Billboard, and they quickly released like a uh, a Juno B. It's it was called B sides, almost adopted songs, uh. and it added about like nine more songs, and then like there was some sort of Walmart extra disc that added like ten more songs. Like it's very very weird. I've never seen a soundtrack get like multiple volumes you know, for like I think... just one movie. Yeah, I think for a movie like this, it's kind of a unique thing where. It's so unique and it's so built together with the story that you can't really separate them, but you can, I guess, get behind the music a little bit more considering the circumstances. Right, because most of it's probably music you've never actually heard. Right, it kind of gives them an opportunity to put more stuff out there. Right, and I, I remember in high school I actually owned the soundtrack for this uh, and it was on a Tic Tac orange vinyl. Ah. So that was pretty cool. I might still have it. I don't know. Huh. Well, Zach, uh, do you have anything else to put into this review? I have nothing else to put into this review other than to let you guys know. Uh, we have a Facebook. We put all of our cocktail recipes, so including this cocktail for this episode. Well, I guess this wouldn't be a cocktail for this episode, would it? Are you just going to write about whiskey for this one? Yeah, in the same way that anti-folk is not folk, this anti-cocktail will also be put up with the cocktails. Beautiful. Synergy. I love it. Um, so go there. We post some memes sometimes. We let you guys know when there's new episodes out, what what the episode's about before you get into it. Um, always watch the movie before you do this. 
before you listen to this podcast, or unless it's a movie that you're super familiar with. Definitely. Definitely watch the movie first, or don't be mad about spoilers. If you just like us that much, why aren't you liking all of our stuff? Please like us. Please like us. We, we're so alone. We need, we need your validation. We need, we need your validation so bad, Daddy. Um, anyway, I think that's going to about do it for this week. Uh, so for, for your information, I'm Zach. And I'm John. Alrighty, don't think too hard about the banana in the butt thing. Sorry about that. Bye, guys. Now I hear it. It all started with a chair. Do you know McGruff? <sighs> McGruff, like she's some kind of. She is McGruff. Is it, it, it McGruff it's like it's McGruff? it's like Officer McGruff. It, it it is the same McGruff. Is it? I thought it was McGuff. No, it's McGruff. Oh my God! Hang on, I I must know this real quick. This is gonna absolutely kill me. It is McGuff. It is McGuff. It is McGuff. Okay, so you just put it wrong in here. I just put it wrong in here. Okay, I was like, because I was going along with it. I thought you vetted this. I thought I did too. Okay. Okay. All right. <clears throat> For reals this time. For reals this time.